The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast your independent voice of Fulham FC my name's Sammy James welcome to the show brought to you by the Athletic UK and today we'll be reacting to Fulham's fifth win in six up at Hull a narrow 1-0 win over the Tigers it was difficult conditions it looked for a long time like it might not be Fulham's day but of course step up the man the myth the legend Alexander Mitrovic with his 31st goal of the season equaling the challenge championship scoring record with 16 games of the season remaining commission the statue now and on the pod today i've got three others who made the trip up to hull yesterday first of all dan cook how you doing dan good thanks sammy how you doing fine thank you don betts how you doing still feeling the worst from wear from yesterday but this is pretty much most of my sundays after the away game so Usual stuff. I saw you at King's Cross yesterday. Um, I shouted, Don Betts! And you kind of looked confused at me, raised your arm, and then ran off into the sunset. So I was like, okay, uh, I think Dom's that's what five it. cans of dragon soup want to trade home probably do for someone. So. Um, I did see Jack Kelly, who's our last guest on the pod. Hello, Jack Kelly. Yes, hanging like a thread today, actually. Are you, uh, you didn't seem too bad yesterday. I thought you were in uh, relatively good spirits on the train home. It was, it was when I got off the tube going home, I started feeling ropey because I was mixing drinks yesterday. That was like, it was, it was bad, but... Yeah, uh, it is it's bad when your hangover kicks in before the next day. Yeah, and uh, sort of um, felt nauseous for about half an hour. I managed to wear it off a little bit. And today I was, uh, well, I've just finished my hangover kebab and it was beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. What was in the kebab? Uh, I had a chicken donner with uh, all the sauces, some salad and chips, and it was far too much food, really. I had to eat it in two sittings. That is a choice of champions. Well done, Jack. <laughs> right, uh, before we look at the game, let's do some three-word reviews that came in after the win. Dom, you were having a look through them. What were the best ones? We had Chris DeMarcus with Ho-Hum Mitro 31, uh, Lars Anderson with Mitro upon Hull, and Rick Cardis's Another Ream Sheet, all coming through the wonderful medium of Twitter. Perfect. Let's get on to the match then. And Dan, I think it's important to say that the context of yesterday, you have to talk about the conditions. It was windy. It was raining. It was freezing cold inside the ground. The pitch was abysmal. It wasn't conducive to Fulham playing very good football. And really, it was a strength of character for Fulham to come through a game like this. I feel like we'll look back, we'll do a season review and presuming that Fulham do go up, I feel like we might look back at yesterday as one of those wins that is why this Fulham team is where they are. Because we managed to get through what was a tricky match. Yes, all the 7-0s, the 6-2s are brilliant, but it's those gritty 1-0 wins in conditions like that that actually, to me, are the mark of a promoted side, champion side. Definitely. I think for those people who weren't there yesterday, the only way I can describe sort of the conditions were like in the film Goal, when Santiago Munez has his trial at Newcastle. It is like prime, <laughs> mud, rain, wind, everything. It was horrific. And I thought actually... We dealt with it really well. I think we actually understood quite quickly how the conditions were going to start affecting the rest of the game. Uh, And I thought we did well to change our game plan slightly to handle it. But it was one of those gutsy wins. And the players, Tim Ream after the game said it himself, that it's almost more satisfying than some of our, our big wins this season because it just feels... You could see it when the players at the final whistle, how much it meant to all of them that we really guts out this performance and I think that's one of the the strongest we've looked as a unit I think in tough conditions was yesterday we really pulled together I mean Jack that first half was not a lot to write home about Harry Wilson had the best chances probably should have done a little bit better to find a teammate in both situations Mitrovic the first time when he rounded the keeper and the second one difficult but Carvalho was open if he could find the ball I thought towards the end of the first half, Hull was starting to come into the game and I was just relieved when it was half time. And you could tell that this is not going to be a dynamite Fulham score three or four. If Fulham were to win it, it was only ever going to be by a single goal, wasn't it? Yeah. And I, I think the conditions played into that. The, the the pitch was almost rugby-like. I mean, they do play rugby at that stadium. Um, yeah. 
whole KR, I think. So, um, yeah, the, the pitch was awful. One of the worst I've ever seen, especially at this level for, for years. And, yeah, no, Hull had a couple of chances ended the first half, but the ball wasn't moving very, very nicely on the ground. So when The they ball t- wasn't moving in general. No, the ball wasn't. <laughs> so, so those shots that looked like decent half chances, they were just basically P-rollers that basically went right, wide. And um, apart from that chance where Ream like sort of hit the shot against the defender or something and then or their striker and they got in and played it wide, again, like the, the surface didn't help with that chance because it basically, the ball just drifted wide and it wasn't really a... A, well, it was a big chance for Hull, but, but nothing to really worry about for us. But yeah, first off, we were poor. Um, and, and Harry Wilson almost like he was trying to prove his point because I think he used to play for Hull on loan or something. And it was almost like he was trying to score against them when Carvalho was definitely free with that chance. He had one-on-one and a bit wasteful, but you've got to, obviously we'll come on to it. Mitrovic is the man and he's always the one to bail us out of trouble. I'm trying to think of anything else from the first half that was of any notes, Dom, or any importance, but the whole thing did just pass you by. It was a it was a low-quality game of football. I took my uncle yesterday, who is a neutral, and I felt a bit guilty because I was like, this is not a, this is not a pretty match for the neutral to watch. It, it just what the, the most noteworthy thing was how much the ball was getting stuck, particularly in the middle. Fully, there were so many times where you, Fulham would try and make a pass and they had to almost leather it to get through the water. Yeah, I said, I had um, a mate who, who I know from England games, who was at uni at York. So he came across the hole to watch it. And he, so he was expecting to you know, see the free scoring full. And we've seen in 2022, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but but as, I think, I think but as we mentioned about the condition, I think every person I spoke to at halftime, or my version of halftime, which is about 35 minutes, um, <laughs> is it was like, this pitch is generally awful. Um like the, I think the one one that sticks in my head was I think it was actually a whole chance in that first half where they dragged the shot wide and it only just about went out of play because mm. and and I think everyone was sort of thinking it the only way someone's going to score here is from a header because mm. there's no chance you're going to be playing some nice football along the ground and be able to score that way you know it was a tough first half but I think you know whole obviously are down towards the bottom half of the table but. You got to look at if they have. A, I know it was under Grant McCann, but you know they beat they beat Blackburn, they beat Bournemouth. I know they had a poor result against Derby last week, but you know they are they are a decent side. They're not they're not like they're not a Peterborough, they're not a Reading, they're not a Barnsley. Obviously, Barnsley winning against QPR yesterday, so they, it was always going to be a tough game. And it's we don't ever really play that well away at home. There's obviously the six nil. I got PTSD from there was the one midweek. I think was it fifteen sixteen when Sonia Luco scored the winner. Uh, last time, obviously, it was one nil Cavalero, and this time, obviously, one nil Mitrovic. Goal, obviously, we'll get onto. But yeah, it, it's never easy when Fulham. You know, 08, 09, I think opening day where we went there, we were like, oh, we did the great escape season. Thought, oh, it's a good season to push on. Obviously, we did that season eventually. But yeah, we end, we had a poor day that day as well. So it's never an easy place to go for a Fulham side. So yeah, I think it was always going to be. It was always nice to talk about. Oh, could we replicate a, six, a reverse six nil? But I think it was always going to be a tough game, and I think we did very well to manage the game because you know, al- although it was only a one goal lead Hull never really looked in session that second half too threatening so yeah really, as, as you said those those sort of games you sort of grind out as much as it's great to win you know 7 nil, 6 twos, etc you know even like a bit like the game at Stoke it is nice to get those sort of ground up wins and as you said those games really will probably turn out to be the more important ones coming in the season if we do end up with promotion and the title yeah it reminded me Dan a bit of the win at Peterborough where it was difficult Fulham weren't playing brilliantly, but also Peterborough and Hull, both spirited and you needed that kind of late goal in the second half to bail us out. And we haven't had that much of that this season. You know, there's only been three or four one goal wins out of the, you know, 16, 17 that we've had this season, which says a lot about how we've played. But I think a lot of people will look at Fulham's promotion and think, oh, it's a weak championship. They just destroy teams. There is starting to be a bit more character. We have had to dig in a few times this season and find results. And and that's a testament to all sides of the squad that this isn't just a, an uber-talented team that smashes teams for six and seven because they're better. There, there also is a spirit, a character and a hunger to do this the hard way as well as sometimes the easy way. Yeah. And I think also the belief in themselves that they know that they can, they've, they've got the right philosophy. I mean, Marcus Silva's got them playing in the right way and that when they get it right and when they, they buy into that philosophy, they are more often than not going to win games. And we saw it yesterday and Marcus Silva said it, that we didn't panic. 
we stuck to our principles and we just backed, you know, the quality of Alexander Mitrich, not just with the header, but the run itself is, is fantastic. And the quality of the ball from Nico Williams, we backed ourselves to be able to create that opportunity. And I think that's important as well, that belief in we're doing the right thing. We're not going to panic and deviate from the plan and we're going to just back ourselves. And I think those are, are some of the really important things that have happened in, in in those games, like Peterborough, again, where we were really struggling to break them down. But we knew if we just stuck to our guns, we kept pushing, we would break them down. Um, let's come on to the goal, Jack. Oh, I just loved it. It was just textbook, wasn't it? I was in the perfect place in the stands. As soon as it left Mitrovic's head, I knew it was going into that bottom corner. The cross from Nico Williams is perfect, but the run from Mitrovic to go in front of his marker like he did, it's not like it just sat on his head, did it? He had to do so much work to get into the position and then just to guide it in. Um, I quite liked um, Dom's Instagram story where he called it Glance Armstrong. Um, that that was very nice, Dom. But it was just such a textbook Mitrovic goal. And the kind of goal that proves to me that this is not just a man that is a flat track bully. That was a goal of quality that came from the aerial prowess and it is why I'm confident that he will score goals at any level because that was just exceptional movement that very few defenders would live with. It's intelligent centre forward play. Um, he has to work for that. Doesn't just, like you said, doesn't arrive on his head. He works, makes the run, dives the header. And from where I was standing, it was like I was right in front of the the far post where it hit, it hit the post. And it was for me, one of the best headers I've ever seen, especially live. Um, the way it was directed, the power he had on the header with the cross, the cross from Nico Williams is unbelievable because it's at such pace where you just have to get ahead of your man and glance it, as Dom said. He did it to perfection. And then he runs over to the whole fans and cuts his ears. And I love this. I absolutely love it because so many fan bases are giving us so much stick this season and Carvalho's done the same with, you know, cupping the ears celebration. And I don't know why whole fans were booing him the whole game. It's probably because they're jealous. They'll probably never, ever have a striker like Alexander Mitrovic in their team. And Yeah, Josie Altidore once. They did. And Dean Windass. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, it's such a good goal um, at such a crucial stage of the game because the game was going really flat and um, just lifted the whole crowd, lifted the spirits. And uh, out of Mitrovic's 31, this has got to be a top, five goal for me. I mean, it really is fantastic. I would fully agree with that, that if you had to put them in some kind of order, this 100% gets towards the top of, of a list. And Dom, the, the whole fan Mitrovic thing was definitely the um, the kind of story of the game from the stands. It was, it was quite odd, really, because he went... I didn't exactly see it, but he got elbowed in the face in front of those Hull fans. He kind of right... Like, he was milking it a little bit. I just think Mitrovic knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He knows it's part of the theatre. If he can just get a little bit out of the opposition fans, he, he it's almost like it's to his advantage that he plays up and performs better if he knows that he's getting stick from the opposition. Yeah, I think he he's definitely a play who feeds off that energy from, from the opposition fans if there's sort of that hatred towards him. I said I was I was speaking to one of my whole whole seatmates on the on over over WhatsApp on the train back and he was saying as soon as Mitrovic scored he knew he was going to be coming over because he, he was he sits or stands right in that session where all those whole fans were to our left hand side and he was like as soon as he scored he was like oh he's definitely going to be coming over to se- <laughs> to se- to celebrate in front of us so I had no issue of him celebrating in front of them instead of uh, towards the Fulham fans behind the goal but yeah as as everyone said what a header and you know that's I don't know that's, that's, people have been mentioning it obviously I think he won the Fulham man the match actually but you know it's two, it's two games now and two two good assists or especially especially that that, that one yesterday because it was pretty much Mitrovic had to get so much on it but it's still in a wonderful cross from Nico Williams he's clearly you know in that Liverpool fullback right right back method anyways that he's brilliant going forward defensively probably questionable but I said great great ball into the box and you know Nico Williams has sort of slotted into this side fairly seamlessly in the last couple of games yeah Dan I thought that against Millwall he was okay I think that a few quarters I, I thought over his performance to be honest that I thought he was all right against Millwall but I think some people were complimenting him a bit generously but yesterday, I think all the compliments were more than justified. I thought it was 
all round. You know, yes, the cross was brilliant, but also there was some defending he did in the first half where I think he potentially stopped Hull going through on goal with an inch perfect tackle that if he gets the tiniest bit wrong would have been a penalty. I thought he didn't give Hull too much joy at all. You know, Lewis Potter is probably their key player, kept him fairly quiet most of the match. I feel like the man of the match is deserved, although Nat Chalaber runs him close and we'll come on to Nat in a minute. Yeah, no, I was in agreement with you over his Millwall performance. I thought he was good in parts, um, but yesterday I was very, very impressed. And I I was thinking about this uh, throughout the course of today. And one of the things that I think impressed me the most is that he is instantly bought in, and it does help that he's coming from Liverpool, but bought into the philosophy because there were a few situations yesterday, especially in, in the conditions where it would have been easy for him to just put the ball into Rosette a couple of times running back sort of towards his own corner flag, that sort of thing. But he backed himself to play his way out of trouble. And that's what we do as a team. And it's actually vital to how we play. And so I think that was one fantastic thing to see. I thought defensively he was solid until the last five minutes when he gave away two free kicks that he probably shouldn't be giving away and put us under a little bit more pressure than we needed to. But other than that, I think it's fair enough that he got a man of the match. But I would say that for me, Nat Chalaba, I thought was was instrumental yesterday. And I probably would have given it to Nat Chalaba. Yeah, Jack. Nat yesterday, I, he was brilliant. I love the way he celebrated with the fans. I just wonder if we're starting to see the beginning of a, not a club legend, but you know, like a, a fan favourite in, in Nat Chalaba because I love the way that, he, came, he he celebrated with us at the end. I thought the performance was fantastic. Harrison Reed's got such a battle to get into the team now. I, I, I just don't know where he's been hiding all season. I really thought it was a dud of a transfer two months ago. And, and look at him now. I, I feel like he'll be on the team sheet for most of the season now. Yeah, I thought the signing of Natty Chaps was a squad signing. Someone who could just sit on the bench and, you know, play, the, play a bit part in terms of come off the bench from here to here, and of which he's done this season. But ever since he, he started the game against Manchester City, he's sort of come into his own a bit. He sort of suits the star we play sitting in the midfield. And what we've seen trends of Silver this season is if someone like a Harrison Reed or a Seri or a Kearney is dropped, they have to work themselves back into the team. It's not guaranteed that they play the next game just because they missed out on the last one. And someone like Natty Chabs has just come in and, just played fantastically. And yesterday, again, brilliant in that all-white shirt that we wore with the white so- the white shorts. Um, and another great midfielder to have on the books. Another another player who can do it at Premier League level with Watford. Uh, and someone who is his stock is rising at Fulham. And I think everyone's appreciating uh, the efforts he's putting in in the performances. And to, to take someone like Harrison Reed and out of the team and not get Harrison Reed on the pitch. Uh, starting the game it takes a lot of credit and I think uh, I'm I'm really enjoying his performances great celebrations with the fans yesterday and yeah another one of those players where I think Silver worked with him at Watford so obviously knows him really well uh, and he's been given his chance right now and he's taking it Uh, big up Natty Chabs good player what I think is is the difference between Chalabar and Reed is that I think Harrison Reed very much recycles possession I think he's very good at that on especially winning the ball back and then letting other people in that midfield play. He keeps it simple. Whereas I think Nat Chalaber really does actually dictate the tempo from midfield. You see him often, he will slow the game down to his pace, speed it up when it needs to be sped up. And I think that's one of the things what sets them apart. And I thought I thought he did it brilliantly yesterday. It's fascinating though, how we've got all these midfielders on the book. Seri still hasn't got a look in since returning from, from AFCON, barring a substitute appearance, Dom. Harrison Reed's now on the bench. Uh, there's a lot of good talent in that midfield and there is a real, real difficulty to, to break into the team. We saw Domingo Skina couldn't even get close and, and obviously we sent him on his secret mission to Barnsley and he's absolutely succeeded, but... Yeah, I think we, we, we've seen what we haven't seen basically in the two previous championship seasons is that 
our team and especially just sort of midfield area was very it was obvious who was going to play under both Jokanovic and under Scott Parker and even even sort of throughout the team it was sort of there is an 11 and that's pretty much who would be playing week in week out and I think that shows the difference between this side and the two previous sides that we've gone up with in recent years because you know we've had to go through the playoffs to start off with so it shows it's not as good a side and I think the squad depth is so much better you know this 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 squad is better than the two previous ones and I think I think you're seeing that this season and the midfield area is key because you know you wouldn't think that early on the season that oh there'd be a there'd be a time where Harrison Reed and John McIlserry both wouldn't be starting for us in in a, in a game like this it, 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 you'd, be, you'd be called crazy but yeah so Chalaba's come in in recent games and he's looked very very good so and you know I wasn't necessarily bought on Chalaba when we signed him and I wasn't necessarily bought on him in the first few games he's played but in the last few games he's really shown what quality he has he's shown why you know he was at one of the best academies in the country, shown why he's played in the Premier League before and how he's probably a Premier League level midfielder. So, yeah, I think competition can only be a good thing, especially when you've got the high quality midfielders that we have in the likes of, he said, Kearney, Chalaba, Reed, and John McCarthy. And Dan, I just wanted to say a word on our defence. Two clean sheets in a row. And, and now Fulham back to being the joint best defence in the championship. 26 goals uh, conceded, which is the same as Bournemouth and the same as West Brom. But of course, in both cases, significantly more goals scored by Fulham. In fact, double the amount of goals for Fulham in the case of West Brom. Uh, It's a sign that, you know, I I feel like our defence is much maligned this season and people that see Fulham occasionally saw the 6-2s might think that we're good in attack and bad in defence, but I don't think that's really true, is it? At this level, the defence is still pretty stingy. Yeah, I think that this is this, this risk of sounding patronising towards Tim Ream. I was quite proud of his performance yesterday because Hull, especially in the first half and then the second half, they sort of fade off, but they really tried to exploit us by having Tim Ream and Tosin running back towards our goal, which I think is when, especially Tim Ream's at his weakest. We know he's not necessarily the quickest and... They had Marcus Ford, who was who was looking to get in behind and round Tim Ream. And I thought he dealt with it really, really well. I thought it was a really good unit sort of performance as, as a team. I thought Marek did admirably as well when, when needed. I think there was a couple of moments when he uh, came out and punched as well in, in, in difficult circumstances. So I think I, I, I get why people think that we've got issues with our defence this season because one... We all know that Tim Ream's not a Premier League player. So I think people already have that bias in there. And two, when you're conceding sort of the goals that we, the free, a couple of freak goals that we conceded, you know, when you look at the Bristol City one, for example, that pinged off a rebound up to the halfway line, moments like that, I think, that happen every now and then, people think that we've got an issue. But you are going to concede goals. Like it does have to happen. You're not going to concede none in a 46 game season. And the fact that we are now we are back to being the equal stingiest defense just shows how well drilled we are as a unit yeah 100% well it was a good win for the whites yesterday it was nice to see it out at the end as you mentioned Dan there was a couple of free kicks towards the end which uh, were a little bit worrying um after the break we'll look at the rest of the championship and what the table means for Fulham going forward Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Dan Cook. Hello, everyone. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Jack Kelly. Good evening. Uh, We have a very exciting Fulhamish announcement this week, uh, which excited to share with you. All the details should be in the Thursday Club podcast, but it's a bit of a new project for what we're doing here at Fulhamish. And the best thing I can say right now is that if you're a fan of the pod, it's a way of getting closer to what we do, being more and more involved. We're trying to build something uh, that's really unique and I will give you all the details on Thursday, but there is a little teaser for now. Let's look back at the league then and what yesterday's win and yesterday's results means for Fulham in total. It looks like for about 10 minutes yesterday that it was going to be the perfect day with Bournemouth losing at Blackpool and then Barnsley beating QPR. Of course, Bournemouth turned it around against Blackpool impressively, as much as I don't like to give Bournemouth credit, but that turnaround against Blackpool was was seriously impressive. And that 96th minute winner from Dembele was, well, it must have been good if you're a Bournemouth fan, let's be, let, let's be honest. But 
the most important thing I think is the fact that QPR drop points Dom that's now 11 points to third which is Blackburn we've got a game in hand on Blackburn they play on Monday night against West Brom there's a 12 point gap to QPR notwithstanding that effectively we've got an extra point on all of these teams because of our uncatchable goal difference at what point do we start thinking that this is I mean are we, are we already like this is on this is so on because gaps the gaps are getting silly now and and you just feel like with with difficult games around the corner for both those sides and Fulham's relatively kind next two or three fixtures it's going to get to a point I think where it's going to get pretty significant and surely there gets to a threshold where you're like we're not going to get caught I don't know if it's quite yet but it can't be far away yeah, it's definitely not right now, but it is. I think it's definitely soon on the horizon. And you know, I said I said it as on the walk back into the city centre after the game yesterday. I said it in the office today that um, if I was going to choose which team to drop points, you're always going to want it to be that team in third place instead of second. Because although yes, we, you, we want to win the title and we want to be ahead of Scott Parker and we want to be ahead of Bournemouth, which obviously we are. You know, it's just all about guaranteeing the automatic promotion. Yes, it's been gate been great. Sorry, going up in the playoffs the last two times, but the brilliant thing about just not having that stress would be absolutely wonderful for like for the week the, the week the playoffs is on so yeah I think uh, QPR losing yesterday was more important to us than uh, Bournemouth dropping points and you know QPR seemed seem to have that in them I mean it was quite funny that it was Domingos Kina who ended up scoring a goal for Barnsley someone who I remember only really playing against Blackpool and having an absolute torrid time ended up scoring pretty much a screamer against against Queen's Park Rangers yesterday to probably get Barnsley's first win in absolutely ages but yeah brilliant set results it would have been made even better obviously a Bournemouth loss but I said we are really getting it's really all important about getting that gap between us and third third and fourth place teams and you know yes it's it's because it is all about scoring automatic if you win the title great but yeah I said I think we are getting to that stage where because the other team's inconsistency, you know, I, I was speaking to a few people who saw the QPR game yesterday and they were saying it basically showed without Chris Willock, QPR really struggled to sort of create anything in the game. So I think that, yeah, I think it's, it is getting close at a point yet, but I think being Fulham fans, we're, we're always wary of getting too ahead of ourselves in situations like this. Yeah, Jack, uh, the, the, Bournemouth thing is interesting now because you imagine that given that set of results yesterday, a win like that in the 96th minute, that must give them massive confidence to go ahead and kick on. And it just feels like none of that playoff pack have the consistency, do they? They've all had moments. They've all had good runs in them. You know, Blackburn had their run. Queens Park Rangers had their run. Huddersfield are still having their run. And Middlesbrough and Forest are good sides. I just think they've all left themselves so much to do here. And that's why it just keeps falling in in Fulham's favour. And it just seems to get better and better every week. That that gap keeps increasing. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on at the top of the table. Um, I think Bournemouth's win yesterday was probably the worst part of the day yesterday apart from the horrendous pie by the way awful uh but oh really no no the steak in the ground yeah steak pie wasn't good at all because the chips were good chips were good had i think matthew had my brother had two portions they were that good so um, and if you and if you you ask Cameron, i think he'd say the hot dog was banging as well yeah he he, uh he had the was it jalapeno cheese hot dog but anyway back (laughs) to the top of the league and not footy scran um what was I say? Oh, yeah, so Bournemouth winning was a bit annoying. Um, and with Blackburn playing West Brom tomorrow night, you do you do think, oh, first home game for Steve Bruce. If they win, who, by the way, are in ninth place at the moment, that's a huge boost for us. And you do feel like Blackburn are starting to show signs of a team that can't do a top two push and, and maybe just about have enough of the playoffs. But then you look at a team like Sheffield United, who right now are on some really good form, albeit, the I think they're actually one of the bookies' favourites for promotion at the moment. They're, they're third favourite. Like behind, yeah, behind us and Bournemouth. I remember someone saying it to me today. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible because you. I think you're right in saying that every team in the playoffs right now are extremely unreliable and extremely prone to dropping silly points. I think Middlesbrough are probably the strongest in that in that four at the moment. Huddersfield, have they got the capabilities of doing, of doing it given their unbeaten run? Perhaps. We'll see next week what they're made of. So not in Forest and Stoke Drew yesterday, they're just outside. But it is really Sheffield United who are pushing for those playoffs at the moment. And I wonder whether a win for West Brom gets them back on track as well. So 
and then, of course, then, and then QPR, who lost yesterday. So it's very open. And all we can do, like I said to you on the, on the train, Sammy, yesterday, is win our games. If we win every single game up until the next international break, we'll be on 88 points. Probably won't happen, but I would like to think we'd be on at least 80 by the time we hit March international break, which is unheard of numbers, honestly. It's unbelievable. It would be like in, a, in an ideal world, you know, what, 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 we secure promotion, maybe away at Loftus Road, then win the title away at Bournemouth. That'd be a, uh, that'd it, be a lovely way to do it. Well, it's doable. If we, if we keep I, I looked at the numbers. It is, I think there's a three game block where I would be willing to pin my <laughs> estimate on when we will secure promotion. And it's that the QPR is the first game of that. I think it will happen neither QPR, Middlesbrough, or Coventry. I think that might be when we see it happen. Oh, yeah, Middlesbrough away when there's about 400 of us there on a on a Tuesday night in April. Those those numbers might get a bit bumped up, I think, if uh, if there's a chance of securing promotion that night. I mean, Dan, we need nine wins to get to 90 points out of 16. So we can afford to lose six, seven games now and still get to 90 points, which is generally considered the promotion angle. Of course, I know everyone would like to get towards a a 100 points and it's fully feasible right now. Um, I mean, just the the thought of promotion at Queen's Park Rangers and title at Bournemouth, I think we might as well give up. We might as well fold the club because it's not getting better than that, is it, if it happened? You might as well just, you know, liquidate it and just say, we weren't, we're not going to get any better than this. This is the pinnacle. Ah, and this is this is where it comes, and, and Dom said it on podcast before, right? this is your moment. If you have, you've thought about going, travelling away, but you've thought, oh, it's a bit of a long journey, whatever, now is the time to just soak this up, get to as many games as possible, because it is just incredible at the moment and who knows if we'll ever see it like this ever again which is a real thought we may never see scenes like this again and I think one thing I'll say is that I can imagine there will be people listening to this saying that we can't afford to get complacent Mm. however as fans we can I don't see any problem with that because I don't think Marco Silva will let this team get complacent they may he makes a point of it every week and so do the players I think they are really set on trying to be as good as they possibly can be at all times and that for me means that I just don't think there's a need to worry just soak it in just enjoy it I mean there's a point to be made there if you do fancy going to a game but are umming and ahhing about it to, to feed the narrative of Fulham having terrible fans just just don't go because the less numbers we have at games away from home, to which where the position is in the table where we can go up, will just be hilarious. Because if we take like two or three hundred to, to games in which if we win, we can... It would be it would be funny if we took like 300 fans on a Tuesday night to a game we saw secure promotion at. It would be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Do like Middlesbrough Pop World with I the team. I love the meltdown from every fan base after every game. It's incredible. That checklist that keeps coming up after every game from Fulham fans. It's remarkable. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, we do seem to be rattling teams at an extraordinary regularity at the moment. It seems to be the only thing Long that, may it continue. That, yeah, exactly. that, that, that they have over us at the moment is the performance or so-called not performance over our fans. I thought it was a good atmosphere yesterday at yeah. Hull. Of course, a bit of a spanner in the works of the whole um, games thing that I did. I think we only really seem to realise that the Nottingham Forest game in March, there's a big chance that might be moved because Forest will get to the, uh, likely to get to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. They face Huddersfield at home in the fifth round. You'd think that Nottingham Forest probably favourites for that. So that might change the possibility of it happening at Loftus Road, but we'll have to see. But yeah, when you look at the championship table at the moment, absolutely glorious sight. And as you say, Dan, I don't know if this will happen again. Fulham did this obviously in 0001 when we went up on Tigana, and it's been 21 years before we were in a similar situation where we are cruising a league. That that's this is a probably a once in a generation moment because you know, especially if Fulham then stay up in the Prem, we're not going to do this in the Premier League unless we do a Leicester City. So yeah, you have to enjoy these moments when they happen and and getting to games at the moment, I feel like is imperative because these are the ones to enjoy because it will be downhill next year. It just will. We will be scrapping to win one or two away games next year. And at the moment, it feels like we're going to win every single one of them, which is glorious. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to get into some of your questions. 
part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Dan, Dom and Jack. Let's get into some of your questions. Today we took questions from Instagram. Uh, we like to change it up. It's normally Twitter we take questions from, but when we vary it up to Instagram, I think we open up the questions to a new audience of people and uh, we get a different kind of variety of questions, which is always enjoyable. Uh, we haven't discussed Mitro's 31 goals too much yet on the podcast. Um, of course, he has equaled the all-time championship scoring record of Ivan Tony with 31. But Dom Alex Lowy asks, I'm sure everyone's asking the same thing. Will Mitro beat the real record? Which of course, as we've discussed quite a lot in this pod this season is Guy Whittingham's 42 goals for Portsmouth. It is weird why we talk about a championship record for what was effectively a rebrand. It wasn't uh, there's the same amount of teams. It's still the second tier. I guess you could say the same thing about division one records and Premier League records. But then the, pre- the division one did used to be 22 teams. So then kind of records do become a bit obsolete because there is fewer games. It is weird considering, I mean, but then you've got to look at, you've got to look at, you know, old, the old division one and, you know, Premier League records, they aren't sort of, they aren't seen as the same, so I guess you can look at it like that. But you'd you'd hope so that Mitrovic would would what, and not just because you know he's he's a great striker and you know probably the best striker this league's going to see. But you know it is it is like he's going to want to break that record himself. You know he served he he broke the Yugoslavia slash Serbia record goal scorer um, recently, um, and then he's I think he's going to want to break this record as well. I think that's just something he'd like to have, and I think we we spoke about it before, but. I think a lot of the things with Fulham not losing their complacency this season on a sort of side point is a lot of them want to show that they they want to be in the side next season because they want to prove to people that they are Premier League quality. And I'm thinking of players like, you know, Tom Kearney and Mitrovic here. But yeah, no, there's no reason why he can't break Williams' record. I don't think if he continues the form he's in, you know, if, as long as we play, if we play QPR, he'll probably just get another hat trick again or something. Yeah, um, it is... Definitely on though for him to break the the forty two record. I don't see any reason why he he can't get to there. And you think about next couple of matches, you know, particularly thinking Peterborough at home. Like there's surely matches now where I think that Mitro can can rack them up, and I imagine he'll be determined to get to that next level because that is real history making. Uh, if we can um, do that, I saw a good tweet about it actually that someone said that by him scoring one yesterday, he actually worse like his goals per game number got worse because he only scored one. I guess, yeah, because he's, ga- he's got more goals in games, doesn't he? Exactly. By only scoring one goal, he's worsening his statistic. It just says everything <laughs> that um, you, you, you think. We, um, Dan, we mentioned it kind of in the last part, but there's quite a few questions here. Uh, George Barndon's said it. Joe McDonald have just literally said 100 points. I think it's entirely feasible. When you look through it, and this is the tricky thing because I was trying to work out when we could get promoted. And whilst doing that, I was looking through our fixture list and trying to be realistic as to like, not just going through and be like, oh, we'll win that one, we'll win that that one. But it's hard because you genuinely just back us to win most of our games. I think that um, to get the 100 points, I think it's, there's 16 games left and you need 11 wins and I think three draws. So, you know, we, that gives us space to lose two games there. I mean, there's there's no reason whatsoever why that's that's not possible. I mean, there's, there's surely going to be a couple of Fulham fans who either back just to score over 100 goals or back just score back to get 100 points or if someone's really confident, the, the, the double. But yeah, no, I think, you know, what's that? 11, yeah, 11 wins and three draws out of 16 games. That's 100% more than feasible for this Fulham side. Sam Hartnell asks, um, Jack, I'll come to you on this one. How many players could Fulham have finish on 10 goals and 10 assists? Uh, It's a good point from Sam because there are, well, Mitrovic is obviously quite close to getting the 10 assists. And then you've got Harry Wilson, Cabano and Carvalho, all who are kind of on the cusp of doing it. And, And 10 goals and 10 assists is pretty unheard. It was not unheard of, but it's a very difficult thing to achieve. And, Fulham could have four. Yeah, I think that would that would play in nicely to the fact we have a, a basically a front four of Cabano, Carvalho, Wilson, Mitrovic, and it's completely it's completely doable. Um, the way in which they interact on the pitch, always setting up each other, always, always, always threatening, and the goals get shared about. I know Mitrovic has obviously had thirty one, but that's like less than half of the goals this season that Fulham have got as, as an entire team. So there's definitely more goals in it for Wilson, Carvalho, Cabano, Mitrich. And 
the assists as well. They assists will basically make themselves because obviously Kearney obviously plucks in with a couple of assists. Um, you could get them from deep and get them from crosses from like Williams or Tete. But yeah, I think the way we play, it's definitely on. And I think Carvalho, especially for him to have a 10 goal, 10 assist season in the championship with obviously, you know, Liverpool swarming around him. It's very impressive. It makes his stock rise. And he will be talked about as one of the most talented EFL players of recent times. And that's even without him reaching 10 goals, 10 assists. He's been phenomenal. Um, and Harry Wilson, when we signed him, I was thinking, yeah, good player for the level. But he's completely surpassed my expectations of how good he really is. Can be wasteful at times like he was yesterday. And Cabano has just been revitalised. He went for, he went out on loan to Middlesbrough last season, did really well. But Marco Silva's come in and just had faith in him. And he's one of, one of the best. It shows, it shows what you, when you give Cabano a chance what he can do. I've, I've said it ever since he signed for us. He doesn't, he's never been given that chance. Give him that chance and he'll show you what he can do. He showed that towards the latter end of the season under Scott Parker. And he's shown it under the full season this season with Marco Silva. He's, a, he's dynamite. He's absolutely dynamite on the left. Jack, speaking of um, Carvalho and, and Liverpool, uh, a new kind of rumour tonight. Um, I don't know how much we can place on it, but apparently talks between Fulham and Liverpool um, yeah. trying to agree a deal for him before the next window. And part of the deal would be Fulham to take Carvalho back on loan next season. Um, do we believe any truth in this rumour? I mean, from my perspective, I think it's, if, if he has to go, it's the best option. I know there's a lot of people that don't like the idea of having Carvalho back on loan. Um, I feel like he's shown in the last few matches that all of the other transfer stuff doesn't seem to affect his mentality and his performances. He's been better than ever since then, but yeah, an interesting rumor. Um, there is some premier league rules that potentially stop you batch this being able to be a thing, but it's a bit of a gray area, whether it's a free transfer, et cetera, et cetera. But it's an interesting one. This is, this is really interesting because there's two points to this. The whole thing you just said about the premier league thing if we get the deal done before we're promoted or before touch wood or before the end of the season, then technically that means he's a championship player. And then maybe that sort of mitigating circumstances makes the deal go through. And also it makes sense in a sense that I think if Carvalho leaves, he's the hardest player to replace in the team to have yeah. that sort of dynamism you have in the number 10. Like you could put Kearney in the 10, but I think he's much suited right now to a deeper midfield position given he's getting on a bit. So actually, to find a replacement with Carvalho would be really, really, really difficult. And in the system we play, if we were to go up, I would, I would love Carvalho to play in the 10 because he makes things happen. And I think he could probably do it at Premier League level. So this makes sense for me. And the whole thing about, oh, will, will fans be annoyed that he's coming back even though he signed for Liverpool? But he, we saw all that speculation on deadline day. He was basically going to sign the contract and it didn't go through. And no one's really said anything. No one's booed him at the games or anything. No one's done anything. So I don't think it's going to be much of an issue. So I, I'd, be, I'd be well for this because it means then that Liverpool don't get their player really for another, you know, another season. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed that we can uh, make something happen. Um, Dan, um, Arthur Duke asks, um, what price tag would you put on a permanent deal for Nico Williams? One thing I wanted to add to that, I don't know if anyone's seen Marlon Fossey's goal yesterday for Bolton, but it's an absolute banger. Definitely been watching Anthony Robinson celebrations as well. Yeah, a lovely little backflip towards the Bolton fans. It is my only concern is that I do think we have a fantastic right back option. And I really don't want us to alienate another youngster by bringing in someone else in above their position. Does Fossey come into the consideration when we're thinking forward to right backs? But of course, suddenly to go from Bolton Wanderers to the Premier League, even as an understudy, is quite a jump. Yeah, me and you spoke about this yesterday, but on the other flank, we were talking about left back. And... I do think that you have to raise a question of, and we've seen it this season that actually Kenny Tete has been pretty injury prone. If he were to get injured match day three of a Premier League season for six months, how confident would you feel saying we'll give six months of football to Marlon Fossey? Now, I think he's a very talented footballer whose progression has been 
hindered by the injuries he's had. And I'm, it seems like he's getting through that now, which is fantastic. But I mean, it's a lot of responsibility to put on a player who has only just started getting back into senior football out of age group football. So I do think that it's a position that I think you need a backup there. And it is a risk of alienating Marlon Fossey, but it doesn't seem like a risk that is something we can take, especially because we all know that we really do need to stay up when we go up because we failed twice and this time is different. I think we will stay up. But having a risk like that playing a player whose who's top appearances are coming in League One at the moment is, is a risk I don't think we can take. I mean, it is interesting. I, I always forget how old Marlon Fossey is. Yeah. I mean, he's 23. He's actually yeah. three years older than Nico Williams. But I don't know. I just, I, maybe it's just rose-tinted glasses, Dom, really wanting a youngster to work when Premier League survival is the most important thing. And I guess Tony and co aren't going to be sentimental, are they? If If they think that, Williams is the better option, but it's hard for us to know because you can't necessarily judge a player on how they're doing in League One. Yeah, you don't want us to make the same mistake we did in 17-18 where we didn't sign Matt Target and ended up signing Joe Bryan instead. And you can see sort of the way the two players' careers have gone since. But it could you don't we, you don't want another situation like that where you know there's a player who's who fits into the squad or fits into fits into the team so you're not trying to bed in a new player and you try get someone who's maybe slightly cheaper on the market because I think um Southampton wanted quite a bit of money for Matt Target at the time um so if he I mean it's only been two games so it's hard to tell but if it works for the rest of the season you know before Kenny Setti comes back from injury I think that'll be in the next sort of few games but I said it if it's someone who who knows the team, knows the squad, knows the system, there's no reason to try to not make that move permanent if he if you know, as we as Dan has said, with Kenny Tetti's injury problems which he's seen since he's come to the club. Well, I think I'll say as well is that I do think it's a deal for Nico Williams and with risk of getting ahead of ourselves, that we could get done for relatively cheap based on the fact that I think Liverpool have decided that they've got more promising talent coming through in behind Nico Williams, who they're willing to let play understudy to Trent. And so it almost feels to me in a similar sort of vein to how we took Tosin out of City, that they're just saying that this is the chance to let this kid go because otherwise he's just going to sit and stagnate at Liverpool. So I think it would be one that we could get done for comfortably under what his true market value is in terms of the ability of player he is. Um, final question that I wanted to come on to. Um, Aeroplane Mode 389 says, will Mitro one day have a statue at Craven Cottage? I guess the real thing I want to come on to, Dan, is a little bit of the conversation that was happening on the train yesterday. Um, it wasn't started by us, actually, but related to a Fulham art- Fulhamish article that came out early this week about Mitro and Saha and who's the better strike or who's the bigger Fulham legend was actually the hook of the article. And I am now starting to place my flag fully in the camp that as a player I prefer as a legend of the club someone that deserves a statue or whatever he deserves a a lounge a bar a cafe in the future that for me Mitro is the one that as a fan I have enjoyed more and yes I was a lot younger with Saha and maybe I didn't see him at full flow and I know that he was an amazing amazing player and he did have a brilliant season in the Premier League and look yes he has to do it in the Premier League in order to fully fully validate himself but I just think that I prefer Mitrovic in every way and and what he's done for the club for me surpasses some of the skill and talent that Saha had but yeah I thought it was an interesting one to bring to the to bring to the table because it was certainly got the train um, talking yesterday there are 16 games left this season and he is 16 goals off 100 goals for Fulham Football Club which I think is ludicrous when you think how long he's been here for. But also, and this is as fans, it goes beyond on the pitch. And that's where Mitrovic puts himself on a different level to 99% of players I've seen play during my lifetime at Fulham because he has stuck it out and he's thought, this is a club where I'm valued, maybe not always by the manager, but the fans, they value me. 
and they have supported me when he joined at a time when his career, he was really struggling. He'd fallen out of favor with Rafa Benitez. He found a home with us and he stuck it out. And I think that's what elevates a player like him to that legendary status is that it's easy when things are going really well and everyone loves you to be a, a, a club legend while you're there. But actually when things are going bad or there's the chance to leave and you stay, that's what pushes you to that next level. And that's what he's done. And that, that relationship he has with us as fans is just wonderful. And I would happily watch him play for another 10 years. And I love the man to bits and statue tricky one because when you think about the statues we've got these are serious serious club legends yeah but if Mitrovic keeps doing what he does for the next five years then it's very feasible I'd back one I'd commission one I mean Dom I feel like we've got a Jamie Vardy Wilfred Zaha kind of player potentially in Mitrovic a player that I don't know if I see him going. I, I genuinely, I think it's a possibility that he could play out the rest of his serious career here as long as, pre- I don't think he'd accept another championship season in fairness. I think maybe four times might be <laughs> enough to, to send him to another club, but assuming we stay up, I just think he's, he's found a place that he's happy and I could see him being at the club for, and as Dan says, another five. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as Dan said, the rest of his sort of high-level playing days at Fulham, why not? You know, if he only, if it, if it, if it when he gets into his sort of mid-30s, he wants to go back to Partizan Belgrade, for example, then I'm sure that's something he'd be interested in, but not, I can't see him moving to, I can't see him moving to another Premier League club, for example. I just, I just, I just can't, I can't personally see that happening. If he was to move, let's say, if he didn't want another, a fourth season in the championship, then it might be, I could see him moving on to the continent as opposed to another team within 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 Britain. But as I said, I think yeah, why, why not? And you know, when it comes to statue, it's sort of quite hard because you know, our, even our record goal scorer doesn't have a, doesn't have a statue at the club in Gordon. Yes, I know he went to Chelsea for after and then came back. But yeah, it's and as I say, you look at. George Cohen, you look at Johnny Haynes. You've got to do a lot to to, to get yeah. to get a statue at Fulham. It's not like the uh, the Emirates where there's like half of the invincible teams um outside the ground. But yeah, I mean, there's not a Fulham fan in the world who I'm going to have any single bad word to say about Mitrovic and what he's done for us since he joined in January 2018. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you for all your questions on Instagram today. Uh, definitely enjoyed uh, the variety of them. Uh, and, and please do send them each week, either on Twitter or Instagram. We absolutely do love uh, getting through as many questions as we can. Uh, before we finish the pod, uh, Dom, we just need to name it. So what would you like to go for? I think it has to be um, Rick Carlos's Another Ream Sheet. Very, very good. Yes, the defence certainly were the heroes of the hour yesterday, alongside Mitrovic's 31st goal of the season, of course. But maybe the unsung heroes of the day uh, was uh, the defence. And that's all we've got time for today on the podcast. Dan Cook, thank you very much for being on. Thanks very much for having me, Sammy. Don Betts, thank you. No worries, mate. And Jack Kelly, thank you. Thanks very much. Thursday Club will be back in the week previewing that Huddersfield match on Saturday with myself, Peter and Jack. But until then, enjoy your week. Enjoy being top of the league. And in case you're wondering, if we do beat Huddersfield, the horn comes back. The criteria has been met. If you're sat there wondering why Sammy not played the horn, I'm sticking to the criteria. Three wins in a row, top of the league. Had to get So Huddersfield win could potentially signal the return of the horn. But until then, have a great week. Come on, you guys.